0: Hey everyone, you are listening to episode 12 of Generation GC, Keep Your Hands Off My Girl with James Boss. My name is Molly Huddleston and I'm your host. This episode was recorded back in April. If you're wondering why the episode itself doesn't, you know, address the current situation or seem particularly timely, that's why. As a reminder, you guys can check out blacklivesmatters.card.co for information on the Black Lives Matter and anti-police brutality movement. If you go on there, there's info on protests, ways to donate, um, different organizations you can donate to, as well as videos to watch, playlists to stream, where they'll donate ad revenue or stream revenue to relevant organizations. I think that's a super cool way to get involved and to help. Totally encourage you guys to do that. They'll also have information on petitions you can sign and a lot of resources to help you educate yourself. I know I've mentioned this in the past few episodes, and I'm going to keep mentioning it for a long time, and I'll link to it in the show notes as well. And a completely different note, Generation GC stickers, as of the time of recording, are on their way. Do you want a sticker? You have two options. Number one, you can support the show on Anchor. Go to anchor.fm slash generationgcpod, P-O-D. And if you support on Anchor, that helps me sustain the show, helps me just have the right equipment and do things like actually print stickers and get them mailed to you guys. Or you can donate to any of the organizations listed at blacklivesmatters.card.co. Thought that would be a good way to encourage you guys to get involved and help. So, you can support the show on Anchor, donate to any of the organizations listed, send me a screenshot of your donation or your support of the show, and your mailing address. You can DM me on Twitter or Instagram at generationgcpod, or send me an email, generationgcpod at gmail.com, and then I will send some stickers your way. Well, that's about all for our intro. Now, on to our episode. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 12 of the Generation GC podcast. My name is Molly Huddleston. I'm your host. And I'm here with James Boss. We are talking about Keep Your Hands Off My Girl from Good Morning Revival. James and I have been friends for I want to say at least five years now, five or six years. And he is a music publicist. He's a junior publicist at Raby, which is a really awesome music publicity firm in New York, and they've worked with a ton of great bands. James, hello.
1: Hi, how's it going, everyone? <laughs> <laughs> so great. <Bad. laughs>
0: so great. It's a great night to podcast. We're 100%. recording this uh, April 14th, so we're still in the middle of quarantine, but I am hoping that by the time this episode comes out, that we will not be quarantined anymore, but you know, I miss,
1: like people and places so much. It's like unreal.
0: I I never realized just how much I took for granted being able to go to the gym and to exercise at a place that wasn't also the same place that I work and sleep and you know socialize and
1: relax. I feel that I've been playing a lot more Ring Fit Adventure uh, in the yep. meantime. I don't know, for those that don't know, it's a a fitness game that's on the Nintendo Switch that actually is, like, a really good workout. But, yeah, no, I just miss, like, seeing what outside looks like.
0: Yeah. I, I live in this apartment complex where, like, all these buildings look very similar. And I'm just, like, I miss seeing buildings that don't look like this. Yep, I feel that. You know?
1: (laughs) <laughs> but let's focus on some positive yes. like this song yes
0: yes okay so keep your hands off my girl is track five on good charlotte's fourth album good morning revival it was their last release on epic records uh epic daylight records before they then were going to release cardiology on Capitol records the song was released late 2006 on their website in myspace page it was also released as a single from the album in the UK, Australia, and Latin America. But it was not officially released as a single in North America. Which I, ex- I actually didn't realize because I thought it was a single in North America.
1: Yeah, yeah, like I remember definitely seeing the music video as a kid. I'm yeah. probably going to make a lot of people listening to this feel old, but I was only 11 when this song came out um god damn it so i yeah um, so at the time i had heard it and i didn't really know what it was about i didn't know that it was yeah. like a critique of like club culture and stuff basically i just right. thought baseline was really like cool and like gritty and like i would say it was definitely one of like the songs that made me want to be interested in playing bass around that time the other one being hysteria by uh, muse Those two songs are definitely uh, pretty influential to me. (laughs) What a combo. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like, (laughs) two completely fucking different songs, but hey, it is influential to me in that aspect, so. Yeah. God.
0: So, yeah, so the song was certified gold in Australia. In the UK, it reached number 36 on the UK singles chart in the first week of release through download sales and it climbed to number 23, Once in Stores. And the music video, I believe the one that's listed as, that I, that I listed as main video, James. Um, and listeners, this is, you know, if you look up on YouTube, there is the Keep Your Hands Off My Girl music video. And then there's also Keep Your Hands Off My Girl alternate version. This is the one that just, music. I believe the one that's just music video won the Viewer's Choice Australia Award in Australia.
1: Wow. Was it like yeah. the VMAs or was it just like... Yeah,
0: the MTV VMAs in Australia. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Setlist FM has 115 citations of Good Charlotte playing this song live, ranking it as number 15 in terms of frequency. I That was a cool feature. I found that setlist.fm can, will like list out for artists they'll list out like every song they have been recorded as playing live with how many times they're recorded as playing it um and obviously this is you know dependent on was there a set list uploaded from every show because there's not going to be a set list uploaded from every single show probably but yeah so if you know if you go see good charlotte live you might hear this song not necessarily a guarantee though
1: I think one little fact that I love about the uh, second video that they made with uh, them in the club and stuff. Yeah. Um, it was used as their main uh, talking point for when they were named the Xbox Live Marketplace Artist yes. of Month. And yeah. I just, I don't know how many gamers out there got into Good Charlotte <laughs> because they saw the Keep Your Hands Off My Girl video from the Xbox Live Marketplace. But I would really I... you if that is the case.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, because I guess this was, like, a couple years after, you know, the Tony Hawk pro skater kind of exploded, and, like, I know that soundtrack a lot of people cite as being really influential.
1: Oh, yeah, like, for me, so the Burnout 3 3 Down soundtrack is, like, gospel to me, but Was just- that
0: what you were, so when we were on the video call, like, with a bunch of friends the other night, was was that what you had, like, the poster of or something?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, like, this great racing game. It has songs from My Chemical Romance, Fall Out Boy. Oh, okay. Ocean City soundtrack. It came out in, like, 2004, and it had some lesser-known bands, too, like Ember Pacific, The Matches, Sugar Colt. Oof. That Sugar me. Colt, wow. That shaped my music taste as a kid. But the reason I find the Xbox Live Marketplace thing funny is because it's not directly connected to a game, it's just connected to the right. front that you would buy games.
0: Right. I just yeah. feel
1: like it's a bit of a missed <laughs> opportunity.
0: <laughs> right. Like it's not like a game itself. Um, so James, when I, I brought up this podcast to you about a little over a month ago, I want to say, and, and you mentioned that this is a song, Keep Your Hands Off My Girl was a song you were pretty excited to talk about. And, you know, you mentioned it again on Zoom when you were talking it about it before saying it was one of your, you know, favorite Good Charlotte songs and pretty influential to you. But I mean, why, what makes this song stick out to you?
1: I just think it has just, I I don't want to say it's entirely the baseline, but God, that baseline just rips in my opinion. And it has just like this really unique tone on it that like, uh, it's not really used in the scene that like Good Charlotte part of. So I think it's not like at all. stand out. Like, I'm kind of indifferent to Dance Floor Anthem, which was, like, a hit from this album. I'm yeah. sure that's a hot take. I, I just think that Keep Your Hands Off My Girl has, like, a really tighter groove. I like the melodies better, and I just kind of like the uh, sarcastic, monotone delivery of the lyrics. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Cake, in a way.
0: Yeah, uh, which we'll we'll go into a bit when we talk about uh, <laughs> some other some other things about this song. So something I always like asking people is, when did you first hear Good Charlotte and what were your first thoughts?
1: I actually that? know the exact answer to this. Uh, Tell me that exact so answer. I had a now, that's what I call music CD. Um, okay, I'm, now, now and, what? Yeah, like now this is what I call music number. No, no, no
0: but I, like which number?
1: I am Googling that right now. Okay. Uh, but it was, I Just Want to Live. That was the track that was on the CD that I have. Okay. It was, now that's what I call music 18. Wow. I I have a bunch of the now, that's what I call music CDs. That's like what my parents like bought me as a kid before iTunes and stuff.
0: Yeah, I had, I had three, four, five, and I think I had 13.
1: And I just really liked, I just want to live when I first heard it, just because it had like those like violins that start. it had that like, really danceable drum rhythm and the falsetto and the chorus like really made me happy i didn't really know what any of the lyrics were about because i was like mine right. but like yeah, i was gonna say <laughs> but that's the first good charlotte song that i remember hearing and wow. like that's another song that i could have been a contender to talk about on this podcast on like, oh yeah honestly yeah. Like, I-, I love that song
0: um i will say that i have already uh booked the guest for that song and that I episode probably much. won't have for a while won't mm-hmm. happen for a while but i have booked the guest for that song and it's it's excellent so let's talk i want to talk a little bit more about how this song influenced you to start playing bass and then eventually you know starting bands and everything
1: mm-hmm. it was just like one of the first songs that i heard as a kid where the bass was like specifically the lead instrument that can like yeah character song and i just felt that was so unique and like at the time i was playing upright bass for orchestra which okay. i totally chosen in the third grade because it was so fucking big and i thought that was hilarious
0: so wait but- wait question about that like you know i played the flute in fourth and fifth grade and then through most of middle school yeah. and like a flute is very compact, and you can very easily transport it from home to school and back, you know, so you could practice on your flute at home. Like, did you have your own upright bass at home that you would practice with?
1: Yes, uh, so the school gave us a bass that we could keep at home, okay? So you didn't have a, to uh, transport
0: this yeah. same one,
1: and then we had a bass that we would keep at the school. Okay, and the only time I ever had to transport my bass when I was playing an orchestra is like when we would go on. These music in the parks trips to like Six Flags or Dorney or Bush Gardens and stuff.
0: Okay, so you didn't have to like carry it back and forth to school every day. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, I remember seeing the kids that played like cello and whatever, trying to like carry that back and forth from school. And I was like, I am terrible. (laughs) I I just remember being really glad I picked an instrument that could fit in my backpack.
1: (laughs) Fair. That is very fair.
0: Let's talk about hipsters a bit, too. So this song came out 2006, which was like, for me, I had heard the word hipster, but it was kind of a relatively new concept. And to me, hipsters, I like, I will be honest, I wanted to be a hipster because I thought that was cool. I thought that like, oh, I'm like indie, I'm you know better than everyone pretentious whatever like i was 14 i thought that was cool clearly that never worked out and i am like way too uh enthusiastic about things to Mm -hmm. be a hipster (laughs) um what did you think of hipsters when you you know first heard that
1: word so I'll first I'll say this much at first uh the first time that I ever heard the word hipster was from this song right but since I was 11 I have no freaking idea what that means I would say I learned what a hipster is around 2010 okay and at the time I was like that seems interesting like I didn't have a full grasp on it but it definitely seems like something that I wouldn't mind being but I think I was always a little too much of an awkward pop nerd to ever be a right writer. and the fact that i listen to good charlotte is also probably um a mark against me as far as hipsters yeah. go. but like whenever i look back at this song at least for music that i've listened to the only other song that i can think of that like mentions hipsters around this time is like um that one say anything song uh admit it okay it came out a little before this one but that was more of an album track. Like this was like a direct single. So yeah, for me, I think a lot of hipsters started to get really popular in 2011. I, I specifically remember seeing like an influx of news articles about like, yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause um, I, I remember, so 2006, like I had just started 10th grade when this song came out and then it was, you know, when I was like kind of in the middle of my college years that I, I felt that like resurgence. Of, of like the word hipster. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, I've, I've played around with my hair colors quite a bit. Anyone that's, you know, followed me on social media or seen pictures over the years has seen the many hair colors. And mm-hmm. I had at one point in college, my hair was blonde for most of college, but I would kind of experiment with all these different like streaks and little dip dye ombre at the end. And I had like a little bit of pink in it at one point. And I was having a conversation with some classmates where something about hipsters came up and I was like, ugh, I hate hipsters. And this one guy, my my classmate, looks at me and goes, you are a hipster. You have pink hair.
1: Damn. Maybe he meant like, (laughs) and just confused the two.
0: I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) So, uh, back to this song. So, keep your hands off. My girl talks about going out to the club, dancing with another guy's girl. He gets up in your face. He's like, get away. Keep your hands off my girl. It makes a lot of references. Um, The girl in the song is carrying Dior bags. She has Chanel Louis Vuitton, HG YSL. He's got bathing ape and DCMA He's kind of mocking the hipster guy. Uh,
1: brass knuckles on my neck. And my- <laughs> <laughs> I can
0: match. I'm um,
1: hanging for a sec because I'm a dumbass.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, definitely a sarcastic uh, look at club scene drama. Uh, what's I mean? What's your interpretation of the song? Do you have anything you see differently, or anything you'd want to add? Think
1: the best way to describe it is cake. If they got famous like Good Charlotte did, and decided to just write a song about kind of their bitterness about the club scene. And I think that's kind of why I find it so fascinating. Like we've had takedowns of club culture from artists before, but not ever from like a pop punk band.
0: Well, and, and also good Charlotte, like Benji and Joel were like in the club scene and I,
1: yeah, like they were famous.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So that see, I, I am honestly not at all familiar with Cake, um, so that's why I like want to go back and listen to them now. Now that you know you mentioned it, someone something else that we're gonna talk about mentions a uh, Cake in regard to this
1: song. The thing with Cake is they had a very sarcastic sort of sing speak tone, okay. that's very close to what Good Charlotte does on this song. Okay. So it's basically like if cake was involved in club culture and I love cake. So like, I think for me, someone that kind of pays attention to like tabloids and the club stuff as well in modern day, I I think that's kind of a fascinating take on it, especially since it's from a band that a few albums ago was like talking about, I want to be rich. I want to be famous. Right.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, and that's, I mean, even the more direct, correlation it might be you know lifestyles to like i just want to live of course mm-hmm. one question that i have and i don't know if you know but there's a line where joel says he's talking about his hurricane shoes do you know what hurricane shoes are
1: um i want to say that they're like Oh god, I don't pay attention to shoe culture.
0: Neither do I, I at all. expose
1: myself for like getting this wrong, but I want to say it was a popular sh- shoe brand like in the club scene at the time. Right, something that like it's what's something that if you have a brass knuckle around your neck and your chain, you're, you're-
0: probably wearing Hurricane shoes. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm I'm not exactly a club kid. I'm a dumb pop nerd. Right, so, like. <laughs> You know, I don't have the most experience on dance floor fashions. (laughs) That's what I had imagined that it would be.
0: Yeah, I, I, especially as I'm thinking about the lyrics now, the fact that he's just like naming all of these like clothing lines and companies and labels. To me, it feels very okay. I'm, I'm, very.
1: We get it. New to the club scene. Well,
0: (laughs) yeah, it, it feels to me like it's very, like I'm new to this and I want to like prove that I know everything Mm -hmm. whether or not I, I wear it or use that myself. But like, I want to, I want to prove that Mm -hmm. I, I know what the club scene is that I'm not a totally outsider, even though this song is like a very sarcastic kind of take on how bizarre club culture is.
1: I, I would say even if he overcompensates with his knowledge of brands and stuff that are popular, I still think that, like, compare this to "I Just Want to Live," which I think is a very jovial tune that's very catchy. This is definitely more brooding, and I think you can tell that they're maybe a little burnt out with the scene. And I think that's yeah. why I'm so fascinated with it as well. It, yeah, it doesn't seem like they're happy, but that kind of makes it work.
0: <laughs> well, that's and that's something I had noted about this album too. That you know, it's good morning revival and in a lot of press at the time they'd talk about how revival you know they're they're starting over but a lot of this album is like really cynical and jaded and some of the later tracks on the album uh like beautiful place and something else you know that they get a little and especially march on get a little more optimistic but like Especially, especially the first half of this album is super like, just jaded, jaded, (laughs) Jaded. sick of it. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. I have some quotes I've pulled from interviews and things that we can kind of dive into why Mm. that might be. But first, do you have any stories, James, or like memories that you want to share about keep your hands off my girl?
1: Uh, the main one that comes to mind is in 2012, I was in a pop punk band for less than a month. I was not a good member inside pop punk band. So they Wait,
0: why were you not a good member of the pop punk band?
1: Because I looked on my, at my phone, all the practices and never oh. practiced at home. But oh. one of the things that they wanted to do <laughs> was cover this song with me. But instead of playing it on bass guitar, they made me learn it on upright bass
0: Oh, that's so badass.
1: So I actually do know how to play the song on upright bass, like the bass line. And there exists a demo version of that on some broken computer somewhere.
0: Oh, my God. That's awesome. That's so cool.
1: That's like I... kind of what helped reignite my love for the song as well, like since I knew what hipsters were now and like right. an old enough point where it's like, okay, now the, the lyrics of the song make sense to me.
0: Right, right. Have you ever been, like, a club person?
1: Clubbing? (laughs) No. I I think from the
0: way I said that, you can tell that I'm not.
1: Yeah, like, (laughs) for those that don't know, my free time is spent playing video games on my couch, and that's about it. But it's a nice life. I I like doing that. When I hang out with my friends, I like to hang out with them in, like, groups of four, and we're all just chilling. I've never been a huge party guy like i got that out of my system in college yeah yeah i don't know i was just never a club guy i never cool enough to be
0: i so i went to a to a college that had like a pretty big greek life scene but it was a lot tamer than like you know the the state school a lot of the stereotypical you know midwestern state schools or something Mm -hmm. and a lot of the greek life people were like leaders on campus and they were athletes and they were had you know great grades and graduating cum laude but you know I I went to like a couple frat parties and I went on a trip I think last month that marked nine years so March 2011 I went to Turkey and I went to a club one night in Turkey and I went to, oh. you know, I went to, to a nightclub in Berlin when I was in Berlin, you know, a year and a half ago. Cause I was in I was in Berlin and mm-hmm. you know, when you meet some Australians at your hostel in Berlin and these like this really hot Australian boy asks if you want to go to the club. Mm-hmm. You said yes. <laughs> uh but no, I've definitely not been a Club party kind of person.
1: Either. I think the one club story I have is in 2015. I bought tickets to see Ray Shremmerd play a local club, and wow. I didn't. know There was a dress code, so they didn't let me in because I was wearing khaki shorts.
0: Oh my god! Which local club was this?
1: Ah, uh, god. Um, the Emporium and Patchogue. May. Oh, uh, I was gonna
0: say. <laughs> I've, I've heard that the Emporium <laughs> does like has dress codes sometimes, but like the last time I was at the Emporium was for, like, the Wonder Years.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so... uh, sadly, since I knew that they had done, like, rock shows there, I thought that I would be just fine, like, seeing Ray Sremert. I thought it was going to be, like, a right. concert. But uh no, I-, I learned the hard way, and I lost $30. Oh, my that God.
0: <laughs> That's insane. So let's talk about the cover art for this single. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cover art, for this song, it's a photo, very similar vibe to the album cover. Uh, although the album cover is like kind of a zoomed out photo. Mm-hmm. The cover up for this album, it's like a gray background. They're all wearing like very, like wh- they have like white t-shirts and black jackets and pants.
1: Very, um, very fitting for the subject.
0: Yeah, of- but just very subtle, you know, mm-hmm. and it just says good Charlotte. Uh, it's very stark, which I remember thinking at the time, and I still do, like, kind of contrasts with how, like, dancey this album is. Mm -hmm. But I guess kind of shows that, you know, this isn't an album about, like, ooh-hoo, I love clubbing. It's, like, okay. I
1: think one minor detail I like about the single cover is that it kind of flips the color scheme that's going on for the main album. Like, the main Mm -hmm. album is, like, bright orange everywhere while this is like more of a hewed out maroon. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's also, you know, the first three albums, they had used that like old English Gothic font and mm-hmm. they did not use that for this album.
1: No, not even for the river, which I think would have fit the bill. Although, well-
0: although I also found the Japanese single cover and they used that same old English font uh, with the band name, you know, curved, like an arch like that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it was clear that they weren't, you know, abandoning that.
1: And Crazy. If you, you, I'm looking at this album art for the Japanese single. You would have no idea that this would be like this right. cake, like sarcastic take down on the club scene. It looks like that they're about to like rip a rock gig and shit. <laughs> I right. think for that reason, it's probably better that we got the cover that we did. I think it's indicative of the song while this is more, the Japanese version is more just like classic good Charlotte.
0: Yeah. And maybe, I mean, I don't know. I don't know too much about like the culture in Japan and I would love to get, you know, a, a guest that works in the music industry in Japan on this show at some point. Cause I think that'd be really fun, but I know in some ways, you know, culture differs, but I mean, who knows in regards to singles, like, Maybe it was released on a different timeline in Japan. I'm not sure. Yeah. So per GoodCharlotte.com, as cited on songfacts.com, Joel said that this song, as we've been saying, he he said that this song is a sarcastic take on the club scene. Uh, The full quote, he says, it's kind of weird. That song takes a lot of balls. I know some people will listen to it and probably think, no, thank you. It's definitely not as if we sat down and penned a piece of art. It's kind of like a sarcastic take on the whole club scene. Billy said, honestly, the first time I heard it, I was like, are you effing kidding me? People will never know that's a good Charlotte song. And then Joel's like, well, that's the point. But soon enough, it had me in its clutches. So something I want to mention that, you know, James, you would not be aware since you haven't heard this episode at this point. On Mm -hmm. episode two of the show, we talked about girls and boys. And Benji and Joel actually wrote girls and boys after they went out clubbing in LA for the very first time. And I I did that episode with Tyler Young from the band Makeout. And Mm -hmm. Tyler and I kind of decided that that song seemed to come from a place of... Frustration, in a way, like you see all these people around you that are, you know, they're just fake. They're surface level. They're shallow. They don't have any substance, but yet they they got the girl you wanted. You know, they they seem to have everything going for them. Not and then
1: this here—that's <laughs> what not the case here. I feel
0: right, right. So it's like you can really see how their kind of view on clubbing and the club scene has changed over a few albums because there's
1: there's this youtuber music critic that i watched Todd in the shadows okay he kind of came up with this phrase but it sounds like a song at a party 10 at like an hour or two after it probably should have ended and everyone should really go home
0: yeah mm -hmm. that's that's the vibe i get from this song too that it's like everyone is too over it too emotional you know just they they should have been done a long time ago
1: mm-hmm. like it, it the party has gone on too long everyone is tired everyone should go to bed but everyone's still doing drugs yeah. to end badly
0: yeah when you i mean you said you were pretty young when you heard this song but mm-hmm. you know mentioning going back to billy's comment about the song that you know he didn't think people would know that's a good charlotte song You know, I remember from my experience, just, like, what I read on, like, fan forums and whatever music websites, you know, I used at the time and MySpace and things. I remember feeling like people didn't necessarily get that the album was pretty sarcastic. And, like, especially this song, Mm -hmm. people didn't necessarily grasp that this whole thing was, like, a very sarcastic take on it all. And they thought it was earnest and like, not that it wasn't earnest and honest, but they thought that, no, this is exactly how they feel.
1: Yeah. I would say that this is probably one of the more honest songs that they, like you can kind of really tell that they're just fucking over the shit. They're not happy with the fame. They're not happy with the club scene. They probably miss being just like daydreaming punks. And like I said, it's like the party has gone on for too long. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so on that note, so I I found a feature from Alternative Press from around the time the album came out uh, that talks about this album, talks about the song, and the writer has said, clearly the Maddens are doing just about everything to add fuel to the fire of anyone hating on them. You know, talking about all the, the fashion labels that they dropped and how they produce music for the hip hop world and then Joel this next quote is from Joel he says at this point it's kind of a cliche to hate our band says Joel who when pausing to consider doesn't see his band as a pop punk group that ever changed or turned on this scene he says a little later "Um, there was a time when we came up in the scene and I was so gung-ho for it I was like there's a place for our band here people were cool with everyone And then when we got more successful, all of a sudden, everyone just rejected us. We kind of have gone out on our own. Were we forced out of that scene? I don't know. But either way, we've been on the outside for years as far as that scene goes, especially the music that your magazine includes in it. And we're happy to be out here.
1: When you listen to the song, I don't think happiness is the first thing that I think of personally. (laughs)
0: Well, yeah, I, I... no i don't I don't think of happiness either um I think they're okay with not being in a scene that doesn't want them and I think like i per the, from this interview I'm gathering that like they're okay with they don't want to be in a scene that doesn't want them mm-hmm. but this album definitely came from a place of like okay, you know, the, the alternative press scene didn't want us, well, maybe we try the club scene. And this album is when they realize, well, what the fuck? Like,
1: yeah, I don't think they want us either. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I would feel that, like, this song is kind of indicative of that. It's them kind of just bitter with the club scene. They it, they're realizing that it's fake as shit. And yeah. it's kind of the moment's like, shit do where do we fit in like what do we do yeah and i that's why the song has always become more fascinating over time for me yeah it's just a it's singular weird moment in their discography where there's just like so much transparent bitterness that i kind of yeah.
0: like. <laughs> oh it's so bitter it's so bitter it i like,
1: it's messy And I think that's why I like it, because I like messiness.
0: This album, to me, I have pictured as, like, the soundtrack to a movie. Or maybe there's even a Good Morning Revival movie about the, you know, aspiring creator, actor, entertainer, whatever. The person that moves to Hollywood and with, like, all these hopes and dreams thinking that's going to be the place, because wherever they came from wasn't the place... And then they get there, and they're like, "Okay, this is effing terrible. Everyone's fake. Everyone is just as depressed here."
1: Mm-hmm. That that's honestly a perfect way to sum it up. Like, yeah, it is not the most fun song. But no, that, like that bass groove. That
0: I mean, it's <laughs> such a like dancey song. Like you can you can jam out to it, you know. But no, it's not like a happy song at all it's very bitter
1: but like sometimes I think those emotions as superficial as they can be I think it just makes the band more complex yeah as opposed to just being a one-note pop punk band like here you have this song where they're basically sarcastically trying to be above the club scene but you can tell that they're still bitter and hurt. you
0: can tell that they're still kind of in it like, but they're they're figuring out, like, you know, we, we did an episode on The Outfield, which is a song where they talk about kind of finally finding that person that makes you feel okay and makes you feel like they belong, like you belong. But I definitely think for a while, Good Charlotte, and maybe even still struggled with, like, okay, where do we, where do we actually fit in?
1: And honestly, I think the song also just came out at the perfect time like in the era of a lot of like superficial like materialistic pop songs like yeah stuff like my humps and like <laughs> yeah you know the, the your greatest pop song of all time and it just fits right in that era and it's just kind of like a unique bitter look on it that I don't think we really got in that era and I just yeah find it fascinating it's like a true glimpse that the 2000s were not only about, you know, just clubs and parties, but that there was a lot of bitterness and happiness there too. Yeah, I feel like that gets forgotten when people, like, reminisce on the 2000s. The 2000s fucking sucked. (laughs) It was a damn depressing decade. And this is the only club song from around that time I can think of that, like, kind of shows how fake and superficial and just, like, how depressing it all is.
0: Yeah, well, and it came out at, at like, an interesting time for music, too, because it was, like, I feel like that first wave of, you know, beloved scene bands, like, the first wave of all those records Everyone Loves had kind of already come out. You were sort of starting to get into this, like, neon pop thing, but not really yet. Like, it was kind of the early side of that. So it was it was a very like in between kind of time.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Like it, it kind of in a way like I would say 2008 a lot more positivity was interjected in yes. this scene and I think that this song kind of capstones like this is a really broad reach but a lot of negative post 9/11 feelings from that decade.
0: Yeah yeah and and you know if we're talking about albums as a whole you know when good charlotte did cardiology a few years later that was a much less bitter album than this
1: oh yeah no it's like happy and colorful and fun and there's the double music video like yeah like even just the album art it's gray and orange and like yeah no one really seems happy to be there at least in the music video for this song
0: yeah so let's talk about uh, the two music videos for this song. So first up we have this main video that I linked up there. That's the one listeners that again, if you go on YouTube and you search good Charlotte, keep your hands off my girl music video, the one that says just that. So the band is playing in an underground club. It seems to be mostly women, but it's definitely not all women because there's a shot of when he talks about the hipster, there's a shot, mm-hmm. like a close-up shot of a guy with just like the most pissed off look at one point. And all these people are wearing like, I guess club wear, but then the band is like very formal. Like Joel is wearing a jester in tie. So that's the thing. Mm-hmm. The cinematography of this video was done by Samuel Bayer who had directed the hold on video. The video was directed by Samuel Bayer's longtime assistant, Brian Lazaro, and it was featured on MTV's making the video. And as you had mentioned before, James, included on their content for the Xbox Live marketplace for artists of the month.
1: Hey, I mean, if it got those gamers to check it out, you yeah. can't go wrong.
0: I so the alternate version of the video was in my mind, it has always been like what I think of as the video. So, this main video was made for TV after this original version, which is on YouTube as the alternate version. Mm-hmm. Um, it was posted on their MySpace October 26, 2006. The alternate version video was directed by Nylon editor in chief Marvin Scott Jarrett, who also directed their Fast Future Generation documentary. Uh, The band is playing in a really stark, white, gray room. Possibly also where the album cover was shot. I assume where the single cover was shot. It did receive some airplay in the UK, but was replaced by the newer video eventually. What are your thoughts on these videos? I mean, to you, like when you think of the music video for this, what, what's, which version do you think of?
1: I actually always go to the alternate version. That's Me too. the uh, version that I saw first. Like Same. the one that um, it looks like it was directly the album cover was basically directly yeah. in from it. Like it may not be the most interesting video, but like it, it fits the mood of the song. It's,
0: it uh, exactly not the most
1: fun video. It's not well, the most the, fun song.
0: The main video where they're in the club kind of fits the story of the song a little better.
1: But I'd say that. I think the, okay. the cinematics fit the song's feeling better.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah, it, it's this song is not about having fun in the club. It's like being super cynical and jaded and like fucking hating it. Mm-hmm. Another thing I wanted to note, so this album was produced by Don Gilmore, who also did their first self-titled record. Uh, per a story on Gainesville.com, The band brought a whole bunch of demos to Don Gilmore, and he rejected everything except for this song. Uh, Wow.
1: (laughs) I did not know that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I'll, I'll read the story. So from their past relationship with Gilmore, they knew he was no yes man, and he quickly reminded them of that fact. The Maddens played Gilmore 40 new songs, and he rejected every tune outright except for Keep Your Hands Off My Girl. And then Gilmore says, I was like, hmm, you've written all these songs and there's only one good one. What's wrong? Gilmore decided the twins needed to get away from the distractions of Los Angeles and focus solely on the music. They headed to Vancouver and the first day they wrote a great song. And we were like, okay, that wasn't so hard. So <laughs> I read this, this article when I was getting ready for the episode, and I was just like, "Okay, you know, he he." At first, I was like, "Okay, they just sent them to Vancouver because you know they wanted he wanted them to get out of LA." And now I'm like, "Okay, Don Gilmore heard this song, realized they needed to get the f out of LA."
1: Mm-hmm. It like, like no- needed to, yeah. Knowing how bitter this song is, I have to wonder, like, how dour and bitter the rest of the 40 songs right. that they that weren't approved are. Like, I feel like you can definitely tell that the rest of the album sounds happier and more hopeful because they got the fuck out of L.A. Right. Uh, but this, you can definitely tell, was written when they were still suffering. Uh, right. All.
0: I mean, because there's, you know, a song like Misery, I, I would say, is also pretty... I don't know. Misery is all about, like, everyone around you and you yourself just being really miserable. Um, but it's not, like, bitter in the same way I feel like this song is. It's not, like, frustrated in the way that this song is. Uh, I mean, you know, there's, there's songs like, you know, Victims of Love and Broken Hearts Parade and Break Apart Her Heart that are clearly have some of these feelings. But yeah, I, I feel like this song... Really, yeah, I I do wonder, like, what else had they brought to him
1: before? Right, how how delusions were they?
0: (laughs) Right. I I mean, you know, and, and there's interviews where they've talked about, you know, how, what it was like going from, you know, being broke teenagers, barely getting by, living in the suburbs in Maryland, to making their first record, touring a bit, and then the young and the hopeless blows the F up and how bizarre that was at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I would be curious, and there's there's some B sides of this record. Are you familiar with any of the like B sides of this record?
1: I actually am not. I got all my music on iTunes at the time. Okay. Honestly, I didn't even know that they sold CD singles in stores still at the time just yeah. because it was like in the middle of the digital music revolution.
0: Yeah. So I, I bought this album, but I had pre-ordered the album the day it went up. I used my parents' credit card and like said, here's my allowance for this. Um, mm-hmm. But I did illegally download it a uh, couple weeks before it came out and the, I, I only illegally downloaded literally one other album in my life. So it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so the illegal download that I got also had face the strange included on it, which was a B side on the CD single uh, for this album. Um, mm-hmm. Face the strange. I, I'm like very excited to do an episode about that song because it's, you know, all about kind of facing your problems and, like, taking responsibility for it.
1: Another example of a song that they probably wrote when they got the fuck out of L.A.
0: Oh, uh, 100%. I mean, it, it's, it's... I, I would have loved to hear Face the Strange included on this album because I feel like it would have been a really nice conclusion to, okay, I've been, like, talking about my frustrations and all of that and okay now I'm gonna like mm-hmm. f- take care of myself and, and figure myself out
1: I do find that I feel like there is definitely a good intent to include this on the b-side yeah like it does show that hey it's not all that bad like exactly. it does get better. sorry we were so bitter for a few minutes there yeah so
0: being that this is a club song, um, the CD single included a Broken Spindles remix. And there was also a remix of this song by Dead Executives, which is Benji and Joel's production team on their Greatest Remixes album in 2008. I mean, this song definitely like lends itself to, excuse me, remixes and such, I think.
1: Yeah. I just wish the remixes were good. yeah. I I don't know. I feel like they take a lot from the song's message away and it just doesn't feel that right, at least with this song.
0: I like the Broken Spindles remix better than the one on on Greatest Remixes.
1: Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not really partial to either. I just just, uh, have stuck in the mind of mediocre things that I've heard. Fair. Like with the original song, it just has that driving... Baseline that gets you hooked. It has the falsettos in the chorus that get stuck in your head. It has like this compelling, bitter, sarcastic story that it tells, and the remixes just don't do that justice. I don't think.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. So. Like-
1: I think it's possible to make a good remix of this song. Oh, it just yeah. Done yet. It just has not been done yet. I'm not sure if it ever will be because I don't think this is in, like, the pantheon of songs that DJs want to remix right now, which is a No, shame. but
0: I've thought about, you know, I've thought about I, I I have a DJ name, actually. I've never actually made DJ mu- electronic music, but I do have a DJ name and, like, I, I, con- I frequently think about like, okay, like, what, you know, pop punk or emo songs could I Remix Um, and I I could see like a really bass heavy Remix of this that you know I think it'd be cool So speaking of bass I found an interesting thread about this song on talkbass.com So when we did episode uh, I think it was episode 10 yeah episode 10 of this show Talking about my bloody valentine I pulled up some comments from songmeetings.com So I'm definitely having fun you know, finding what I can of like old message boards, so talkbase.com. I guess that was or is a bass player website, and you know, instrument and musician e-focused websites can often be pretentious, judgmental.
1: And good Charlotte were never exactly no. the most critically acclaimed bands, and no. sadly, I don't think they're going to go down in history to a majority of like the general public as a critically no. Definitely, Definitely not. not. Darling.
0: <laughs> no. So the, the thread uh, was titled What's Wrong with Good Charlotte, and someone linked this song saying, like, oh, they liked it. So we're just going to read some selected comments from bass players about Keep Your Hands Off My Girl. User Crispy Goat says, I'm scared to admit it's good. I guess they got into industrial music. Sounds a bit like Nine Inch Nails with a real and bad, drummer, and some stupid lyrics and vocals, but I think I am liking it. Meh.
1: I mean, Nine Inch Nails isn't the first thing that I think of when I hear this song, but hey, different folks, different strokes.
0: No, but, but I can sort of see it.
1: I mean, I think there's maybe a sprinkle of industrial influence there. Yeah. I get it like that is a very driving bass line that wouldn't feel out of place in in an industrial song. Yeah. I think that, you know, when the guitar comes in and when his vocals come in, that kind of wipes away any potential industrial and Nine Inch Nails influence there.
0: Yeah. So another quote, user Matt Till. On topic, I just watched the video you posted. I thought they were a pop punk band. I kind of dig this dancey goth Star, 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 star.
1: <laughs> I wonder what that is.
0: <laughs> I mean, the bassist has phenomenal tone. I think it's... I, agree. I think it's a ironic kind of song because the music is depressing, but the lyrics are cheesy. I mean, the lyrics are cheesy, but I feel like the lyrics are also kind of depressing.
1: But she, the lyrics are cheesy, but with... I just the right amount of bitterness to make them like, it's not the fun type of cheesy. It's right. it's silly.
0: Yeah. Um, I also am am just realizing by the way that they were about my age, like the age that I am now about 28 when this album came out and I'm like, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I feel it (laughs) now. I, I definitely not to get like too dour, but I definitely have gotten like much more cynical in the past few years. Um, so the rest of this comment says it's very strange and I really prefer it to that Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous type. Star, 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 star. I really kind of like this keep your hands off my girl. Listened to it twice actually. Eek.
1: Damn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and
1: I, I, I have to admit just the thought of like these super music nerds like feeling embarrassed to listening and liking a good Charlotte song Mm -hmm. kind of makes me laugh.
0: Oh, completely makes me laugh.
1: like Oh no. I like a pop punk band. The horror.
0: Yeah. User lab Nat says it's better than the other stuff I've heard of theirs. The vocals are very cake like.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's very cake like, (laughs) um, it's, it's, very along the lines of what Cake is known for, just a lot more fucking bitter.
0: So for me or for anyone listening that isn't very familiar with Cake, could you give us like maybe two or three Cake songs you recommend to check out?
1: Um, their big ones are The Distance and Short Skirt and Long Jacket. I think those two will give you a very good idea of their style. They also have a cover of I Will Survive by Gloria Ganner, which is uh, not as good as the original, but I'll just leave it as that. Okay.
0: (laughs) Cool. So something I always like to uh, bring up as we close our conversations is how has this song held up for you over time?
1: It becomes more compelling each listen for me. Yeah, Like just the bitterness and the (laughs) sarcasm, like... It just feels very raw to me, and I find that so utterly fascinating. Yeah. So I would say it's a song that, for me, it gets better. I think there will be some people that will think it's obnoxious and that the lyrics aren't that great, but if you're one of the people that is able to like hook onto just how fascinating the bitterness of this song is,
0: yeah,
1: you're in for a pop music treat. I think.
0: Well, and and I think. it's like doing a disservice to the song to like say that the lyrics are like cheesy or whatever, because that completely misses the whole tone of it. I think, yeah, you know, like
1: they're not trying to be cheesy. They're fed the fuck up. (laughs) Right.
0: Right. They're, they're fed up. Yeah. And that's, I think something that I've, I've realized more and more, and that's become more clear to me, you know, as I've listened to this, um, this album and, and as i've grown up and become more cynical myself and i'd say in general i'm pretty optimistic um but realizing just what kind of a place you have to be and i think to like write something like that but i get it you know it, it's totally valid to be fed up like
1: that yeah like personally i don't have like personal attachment like, as in, like, I have personal experience with what the lyrics are talking about. Right. But I just think when looking back on the 2000s, I think it kind of sums up maybe what some people's frustrations about how materialistic that decade could have been and how shallow that decade could have been. And yeah. I think that's just a fascinating angle to look back on. Like, I think it's a song of theirs that just kind of captures that more so than any other song in their discography yeah and i'm thankful that it exists
0: yeah so james what has good charlotte meant to you over the years and how has that changed or you know has that changed
1: i think for me good charlotte has just always been just a solid fun pop punk band to listen to they were never, like, my favorite bands or anything, but, like, they have some songs that I have a lot of nostalgia and respect for. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I'll always be thankful for their existence. And this is just one of those songs that I really appreciate a lot.
0: Awesome. So do you have any last words about Keep Your Hands Off My Girl, about Good Charlotte, or about yourself?
1: Um, about Good Charlotte, I saw them live in 2018. They thankfully played it. It was sick. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I kind of got all my thoughts out there about this yeah. song, kind of like its impact on me, how it inspired me to like want to play bass guitar more, how I grew up like kind of learning more and more about the song as time goes mm-hmm. on, growing in fascination to me more than their other songs may have. Like, I just felt like the more I listened to this song, the more that I'm able to grab from it. And I'm really thankful for that.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's a great feeling. Uh James, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. This was really fun. Like I it's just really cool to talk about what I think is an underappreciated piece of pop ephemera.
0: Yeah. No, this this, I mean this show, and I say this like every episode, but this show has been so much fun so far. Uh to anyone listening, we're recording this April 14th, 2020. And the first episode goes live. As I'm saying this, the first episode goes live tomorrow morning. I've recorded several episodes already. Uh, that's why we're you know recording episode 12. but as I'm recording this, oh my God, I have the biggest butterflies in my stomach. I am so excited. And like
1: I said before. I hope that the world is in a better place by the time oh. that this episode comes out. Or maybe if you're listening gears down the line, if we haven't completely imploded that us <laughs> talking about how terrible everything was, like, will sound silly.
0: Wait, wait, but right now, just as, since we're all quarantined right now, man, there's a part of me that's like, I wish I could get dressed up, go to a club, buy one non-alcoholic beverage... <laughs>
1: I feel Dance
0: that. to three and a half songs and go home.
1: Yeah, no, I feel that. Honestly, this song makes me want to go to a club and make fun of everyone for what they're wearing because yeah. that's the vibe that this song has.
0: Yeah. So, James, thank you again for coming on. Where can people keep up with you, follow you on the internet?
1: Oh, God, if you want to follow me on the internet, that's probably a mistake. But <laughs> um, I have Twitter. Um It I just tweet about like dumb shit going on in my life. I tweet a lot about the show Survivor, which is like my favorite show of all time. I tweet a lot about video games. I tweet a lot about the clients that my company is working with. You can find me at uh James underscore boss seventeen, like the numbers one and seven. Um yeah. Awesome. Sorry in advance for dumb shit I tweet.
0: Oh, James, I tweet so much dumb shit too. (laughs) Thank you again, James. Thank you to everyone who has listened. My name is Molly. I am your host. We talked about keep your hands off my girl today. Next week, we will be talking about a song from Good Charlotte's fifth album, Cardiology. You can follow Generation GC at Generation GC Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can follow me, Molly at Huddleson M-H-U-D-E-L-S-O-N on Twitter and Instagram. And please make sure you're subscribed to the show on Spotify and iTunes and rate it, leave a review. Thank you so much.
1: Peace, y'all.